I love you all so much. I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of a different approach to today's message. It's, it's a little bit unlike me. Um, uh, while I was studying this week, uh, some events happened that um, just were, would fit right in line with what I wanted to say, but I didn't know how to uh, go about saying them. And, um, and it fit into... Actually, what I had studied fit right into what was being said as I read about the news of some of the sorts of things that are going on in our, in our, in our world in, in which we live. And, uh, and so I'm going to take the first part of my message to do that type of an introduction, which I don't normally do, but I wanted you to know, just so that you know that when we get to the text, uh, which is First Peter, would you please turn with me? If you're visiting, thanks for coming. We've been, we've been going through this book, and we are now on the very tail end of the book of 1 Peter. And we get to... Um, a, a, I was wondering, how in the world am I going to make 1 Peter last until I, I'm here? Um, I have uh, now, after this, five more weeks, which is uh, hard for me to fathom, to be honest with you. And it's been... Uh, I'm wrestling through all of that as well. But... It came across that, that, that the last part of Peter, Peter explains what is our call as believers. And he wraps up this one book, 1 Peter, in the fifth chapter from verse 5 to verse 14 in the most amazing way. He gives five, excuse me, ten character traits of how to live this life we call Christianity. And he talks about, as we're going to look at today, in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, he talks about submission and humility. After that, in verse 7, he talks about trust. In verse 8, the first half of it, he talks about self-control. The last half of verse 8, verse eight he talks about alertness. In verse 9, he talks about standing firm, strength. Verse 10, hope. Verse 11, worship. Verse 12, faithfulness. And then in verses 13 and 14, he ends with what is the very essence of church, and that is to love one another. So I want to read those verses to you, and I want you to know we're going to break them down. We're not going to take every, uh, every single one of those words today. We're going to kind of move them along as we kind of finish up this series and my stay here Sadly for me, at, 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 at a church, hard for me to say it. I want you to read with me, please, verse 5 to verse 14. I want you to be familiar with these verses because um, I think they're going to impact your life and my life. Verse 5 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. Verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same experiences of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. Verse 11 says, To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Salvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Well, I love this place of Scripture. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a blessing, really, uh, and, and, and difficult to go through these verses. Um, let's pray, and then let me kind of do this little introduction that I have for us. Uh, Father, please, would you uh, honor us with uh, the grace that comes from heaven above? And that is that you would open up our eyes and our hearts that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. Would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not interfere with what you want to say to each of us? And would you, Father, please help us to understand the responsibility that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, the, the wonderful responsibility, but the awesome responsibility. Help us, Father, to not take lightly our faith. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be at every level of our lives, whether we're here in this church or, or we're out there in our society in which we live. Let us be people who are aware of what you have asked of us as believers. So take this time, Father. Use it to mold us. And we ask this in the most precious name that we know of, Father. We come to you in the name that you've given to us. We come in the name of your Son, our Savior, and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you for Father Him. In His most precious name we pray. Amen. During my 41 years in ministry, and it doesn't seem like, you know, it seems, I don't know, those of you who are younger won't get this, but it just goes by so doggone quickly. And I know, my, my dad told me, you know, enjoy yourself, enjoy what you're doing, son, because time flies by. Well, Okay, Dad, okay. That every day seemed to drag until now. I'm 77. That's where did it go? Where did it go? The 41 years of ministry, I've seen a deterioration of the Word of God. I have. I've seen it taking place throughout what is so-called Christianity. There's been a loss of this faithful teaching of the infallibility of the Word of God. And it's happening in so-called mainline denominations, churches. The Word of God has be become diminished and, and no longer the sole inspiration of God's voice today from the pulpit and from our hearts as believers. And way too many churches view the Bible as neither infallible nor authoritative. And as a result, as a result of that, there's been a moral, dis there, the moral absolutes have disappeared. 
and there is a deception that is flowing through this land in which we live. What do you and I believe? What does God ask of us? And many have fallen into Satan's deceitful hands. Paul wrote in Colossians, you don't need to look this up, let me just go through these, just listen. And It's on the screen, Colossians 2.8, you can write it down and look at it later. Just kind of sit and listen for a moment. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, See to it that no one, no one takes you captive through the philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. That's our barometer. And pastors and churchgoers alike have become a people with a deceived and weakened base of faith and have fallen into a people who have believed that Christianity now has no absolutes. There is absolutely no right or wrong. Everybody can do what is right in their own eye. In fact, that's not new stuff. That's not just for today. That's been with us in the Old Testament as well. In the book of Judges, the 17th chapter and the 21st chapter, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. So therefore, what happened was, every person did what was right in their own eyes. That's Judges 17.6 and 21.25. Doing what was right in their own eyes. And Satan has allowed this thinking to flourish within our society and, and to And today you see God never intended you and me to relate to Him without applying our minds, without thinking about what does He say to us so that we can say the same to Him in return. And true fellowship and true worship must be based on clear thinking and understanding of the Word of God. And one of my favorite places in all of Scripture is the book of Psalms, the 119th chapter. I want to encourage you to do something in your spare time. If you, if this week or, or sometime you have some spare time that you just don't know what to do with it and you want to just sit down and be quiet for a moment, I, I encourage you to open up Psalms 119 and read through it. And read through it with a time where you have the ability to just sit and read and, and think about what you're reading some years ago, I had the privilege, out-and-out privilege, to um, go be flown back to Michigan to interview uh, a man by the name of Anthony Zioli. You probably don't know who Anthony Zioli is, but Anthony Zioli was called the Walking Bible. He had memorized most of Scripture. Do you know where he memorized it? In jail. He killed a man out of anger. And he was so mean and so out of control that they put him in solitary confinement for years. Plural. Years. He told me this as I interviewed him. And he said that he memorized the Bible by there was a hole in the ceiling of the cell that he was in that shined through a light. And someone gave him a Bible as a gift. And he would take his Bible and he would open it up and he would let it 
shined the light, which was about the size, he told me, of a quarter, and he would move the Bible so that he could read each word light through the light that was shining above. And he memorized his Bible. And he memorized uh, Psalms 119. <clears throat> and so as I was interviewing him, he stopped me. He was in his 90s. And he said to me, tell me how you come to the Bible. So me being the one that's interviewing him, the scholar, I said, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> I had no idea what he was asking. He said, how do you come to the Bible? What do you do when you come to read the Bible? And I says, um, oh, I usually read through a book. I thought I was going to impress him. He says, no, no, no. What do you do before you read the Bible? And he was the one that taught me Psalms 119, verse 18. Lord, open up my eyes so that I might behold wonderful things that come from your law. And he looked me in the eyes, and this is in the middle of the interview, and he's now interviewing me. And he's saying, don't you ever come to God's Word without asking God to bless you on what you are reading. And don't go to the God's Word just haphazardly. Have a purpose in mind. Ask God to open up your eyes so that you might behold wonderful things from His law. Out of Psalms 119... Verses, uh, um, I think it's 9 through 11. King David says these words concerning understanding biblical truth. He says in Psalms 119, verse 9, How can a young person keep their way pure? He answers it by saying, By keeping it according to your word, dear God. He then asks God, with all my heart, he says, I have sought after you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And then he said, which I think is one of the great lines in all of Scripture, he says the words in verse 11, Your word, dear God, your word I have treasured in my heart, dear God, so that I might not, what, sin against you. The Bible and the Word of God that we study here at this church is of critical importance to your life. Whether you understand or realize that fully or not, I want you to understand it as we move along in this time together. Through David, God declares in Psalms 32.8, listen, I will instruct you, he says, but this is not just for David, it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for me. Psalms 32.8, God says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Can you ask of any greater gift in life than to have God Himself counsel you and keep His eyes upon you? Jeremiah warns, though, about ignorance to God and His Word. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22, it says, My people are foolish, God says. They know me not, God says. Listen to what Scripture says. They are stupid children, He says, and have no understanding, He says. They are shrewd to do evil, He says, but to do good, they do not know. What a verse. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. You might want to underline that verse. That's, 
That's a critically important verse, I think. And why do we not know how to do good? Well, simple. It's because we do not know, nor do we understand the importance of the Word of God. Thy Word, O God, I have treasured in my heart, O God, so that I might not sin against you, O God. Having the Bible as a part of your life, understanding the Bible, and not just coming to church so you can say, I checked it off. I didn't have to. I went to church this week. Anybody asked, I went. Checked it off. I went to church. Nobody cares that you went to church or not. What people care about of any value from a pulpit is are you growing in your faith? Are you becoming the man? Are you becoming the woman? Are you becoming the young person that God has called you to be? Are you? Are you trying to be that person? Well, then treasure God's Word in your heart so that you will not sin against Him. Don't allow yourself to wander from His commandments. Allow Him to keep you from that. Well, I want you to listen to what Paul taught Timothy. The importance of Scripture. He says this, Timothy, be diligent. Timothy, he says, present your... This is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15... It's up there on the board. Timothy says, be diligent. Present yourself approved to God, Timothy. Be a workman, Timothy, who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. God bless you. Timothy says, put your mind into this. Understand it. And again, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. These are great verses. Listen. I solemnly charge you, and this I say to you and to me as a people, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with great patience. Instruction. Now, listen to what Paul said way back then that is so current for today. In verse 3, he says, now listen closely. He says, a time is going to come. We are in it, folks. We are dead in it. A time is going to come when they, meaning people, will not endure sound doctrine. They want to have, he says, their ears tickled. In other words, they just want to be entertained. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from truth and will turn aside to myths. What does God say about these false teachers that, that, don't, that don't tell the people the truth, that tickle their ears? Listen to Hosea. You want to talk about a major verse. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. He says, My people, God speaking, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just chew on that for a while. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because, he says, you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priests. Since you have forgotten the law of God, he says, I will also forget your children. You talk about a hard verse. 
Since you have forgotten the law of God, I will forget your children. And now look at what's happening in our society across this world in which we live today. Our younger generation today in the United States of America are in the process of becoming as godless a group of people as I've ever seen in my 41 years of ministry. They are being generated, this world in which we live, by a godless younger group of people taught by godless professors in godless places called higher learning. And we're losing them. Why? Because we have set aside our Lord's teaching and for the world and its ways. Preachers and teachers who do that are a sorry lot. Sorry lot. Tickling the ears of people who come to church, entertaining you, because they believe you want to hear what pleases you rather than what does the Lord God Almighty say to you this day. And these preachers and false teachers are complicit. They are complicit in this sin of deception that is going around our world today. And we was taught a couple of weeks ago by Michael in our Wednesday morning breakfast out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel said, God said to Ezekiel, if you do not warn the people of what I say, what comes from my mouth, if you do not warn them, Ezekiel, and they continue in their sin, they're going to die in their sin. But you, Ezekiel, I'm going to count your blood as a payment for that. In other words, he says, your blood I will require of you for those people. But if you teach them and they don't listen to you, you teach them the truth and they don't listen to you, they're still going to die in their sins, but I will not hold their blood upon your head. And that's why I want to be like Ezekiel. I want to teach the Word of God. I want to become accountable to what we hear here in this church. And I want you to live out what you've learned so Paul encourages you and you and me. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, You are no longer to be children. You are no longer to be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. You and I need to learn. With all of that in mind, that was the build-up to what I read this week you know, I get a I get a morning. I don't know what it's even called. Uh, it comes on my computer, and it's a it's kind of the news flash of what happened overnight. And I'm reading through it. Here's what I read. I wrote it. I copied it word for word so that I wouldn't tell you. I would only tell you what was what I read, not what I thought. Although I will tell you a couple of things of what I think in a moment. It says this, former President Jimmy Carter. You know Jimmy Carter, don't you? President Jimmy Carter. What did President Jimmy Carter claim to be? What? He claimed to be a peanut farmer. He claimed, that's where he should have stopped. He claimed to be a Christian. He said this on CNN Tuesday night. He said that I believe, him speaking, that Jesus Christ would approve of gay marriages. He then stupidly said, that's my words, not his, that he doesn't have any verse in Scripture to corroborate this notion, but he says, I believe it deep within my soul. I believe it. 
professing to be a Christian, I asked myself, what pulpit, what teacher did he sit under? I thank God it wasn't me. Where did he learn that? What do you think? What do you think he was trying to say when he said that? Was he trying to be politically correct? So many do today. We're afraid to say anything out of line. Was he being politically correct? Was he trying to tickle the ears of so many of the people today? Did he wet his fingers, stick in the air, and see which way the wind was blowing, and say, oh yes, I believe that God would approve of gay marriages? Most do. Oh, really? Was he just tickling ears, or is he that doggone ignorant? Either way, he's out of it. And the reason I say this about Jimmy Carter is because Jimmy Carter professed to be a Christian. I'm not saying this about any other president that might say this because because they're not worth they're, um, they're not worth they're not worth talking about in that. To double down, to double down, Jimmy Carter said this. Double down, folks. He not only said that he would believe that Jesus Christ would approve of any gay marriage. He said this. He says, I also believe that Jesus would encourage any love affair as long as it was honest and sincere. Really? I wish I was there. I would like to have asked him, really, really, Jimmy? Really? What about my love for my dog? I love my dog. You think uh, if I wanted to marry her, be okay? What do you think? You see, that statement, that statement leaves, leaves everything wide open to whatever someone might think is right or wrong. But what does the Bible teach? Jesus would encourage any love affair as long as it was honest and sincere. I wrote down, I mean really, a cap letters, really, really, really? What is your frame of reference, Jimmy Carter? Is it your personal belief in what you think God would say or do, or is it simply the world's popular belief today? Does he want to be popular with man rather than be popular with God? I don't know. Or is he that ignorant to the Word of God? Now I want to get into the message. I had to say that. I had to say that because we're falling apart as a world, people. And the only hope is churches like this that will teach the Word of God as clearly as possible so that we will at least hold, hold our standard to something. So in the midst of this, let's go into 1 Peter 5 now, please. In the midst of this world that you and I live in today, how are you and I are to live as a believer in Jesus Christ? And Peter is now going to teach us a wonderful lesson as he closes out this amazing book. He teaches us on ten character traits. Submission, humility, trust, self-control, be alert, strength, stand firm, hope, worship, faithfulness, and love. I'd like for you and me to try to understand them one by one while... I still have the privilege of being here with you week in and week out these last five precious weeks. And I can think of no better way to conclude my time with you 
been studying these ten traits. First, there's submission. Let me tell you something. Without order, without submission, there will always be chaos. And so in verse 5 it says, You younger people, likewise, be subject to your elders. The foundational attitude that you and I have as a believer in Jesus Christ must be submission in every facet of our lives. Peter taught us this. Here, you're in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a moment, please. He taught this facet as far as the world is concerned, out there in the world. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Such is the will of God, he says. Look at at chapter 3 now. That's in the world. Look what Peter teaches about in the home. He says in chapter 3 to the wives, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Look at verse 7. In the same way, he says to the husbands, you husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's a farming term that says you and I are to live as a husband with our wives to help our wife to flourish as a woman. And so Peter spoke already to the world and how we are to submit ourselves to that situation and how we are to submit to one another within the framework of our homes. The foundational attitude in the life of a believer is in the world and in the home. It is submission. Without submission, there will be chaos. Now notice Peter says younger, the younger people. Most likely, the younger, whether they be of faith or of age. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Most say it's of younger children, but... I believe that someone can be 77 years old like I am and still be a young person in the Lord, not really understanding all the things of the Bible. Or you can be a 13-year-old that is just starting off on this journey of getting to understand the Bible. I think it's wide open there. But usually the most aggressive and usually the most headstrong of people are those who are the younger. And hopefully us older heads who believe and trusted in Christ have learned our lesson by now of being submissive to one another. And calling the, the young people there in verse 5 to be subject, that's a military term. It's hutsupotasso it's in the Greek. It means to place yourself willfully under someone else. With that in mind, let me ask you a question. Here at this church, who are you to be submissive to? It's a good question. You don't have to answer right now because I'm fearful you'll say it's me. And it's not. Not always. It will be in some areas, but not all areas. Let me give you an example. Best example I could ever give you. I had to do a baptism. This was years and years ago when we were here at this church. It was, so it, was, it, was, it had to be less than 10, but it was about right near the start of our church. And, and we had a baptism, and I was running a little late getting to the, the home where we were having a baptism. And so I wanted to park down the street so that everybody saw me walking far up. See, I was prideful. I wanted to be prideful. I wanted to not have the best best place to park. So I wanted to park down the street 
and walk all the way up to the house to do the baptism. But, but as I was starting to drive by, someone stopped me who was doing the parking. And he says, we've got a spot for you right here, Pastor. And I pridefully said, oh, no, no, I'll park down the street. And he said, oh, no, 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 you'll park here. Who was in authority? He was. I was to be submissive to him. He had a plan. I didn't. He knew where he wanted me to park. I didn't. And I, by the grace of God, listened to him and did as he asked me to do. As far as parking was concerned, he was in authority over all of us. As far as going into the kitchen is concerned, you just don't walk in there and say, I want this, that, and the other. No, you ask because we are all under submission of who is doing the kitchen and all the other things that go on here. We are all to be submissive. In that scenario, in, in parking, he was the authority. Once I got into the pool and did the, the baptism, I was in authority. In other words, what the Bible teaches is that we are, as a group of people, are all to be submissive to one another from time to time. The church is set up in such a way that you and I both are be to, to be submissive to one another from situation to situation, whatever it is. And so we need to be submissive. And with that, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it says, Obey your leaders, submit to them. And your leader could be different people from time to time. Let them do this. In other words, let them lead you with joy and not grief. After submission comes humility. One of the greatest, most important of all the words. And humility, hard to explain, hard to grasp, because the moment you think you, you've got it, you just lost it. You know, humility is tough to hold on to. And so he says in verse 5, the last part of verse 5 and verse 6, Peter does, all of you, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. With humility, note, he says, towards one another. God is opposed to the proud. He will give grace to the humble. If there is a, one of my favorite verses, it's verse 6. I, I, I don't have a life verse to say. I, I will jump from Psalms. I will jump to there. I will, it depends upon what I'm reading and what happens in my life at that moment. But this is as close as it comes. It says, humble yourself. Humble yourself, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God. And He will exalt you at the proper time. I know of no greater verse than those who are, are, are eager for God to answer their prayers and, and eager for God to do what they want God to do when they got, want God to do it. And the Bible says, in the process, while you're waiting for whatever it is that you are praying for, you just simply humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you at the proper time. I love that verse. It takes all the pressure off of me. It places it on my God. I know He wants to bless me. I just don't know how, and I don't know where. So in the midst of all of that, my job as a man who says he loves God is to humble myself before Him, before His mighty hand. And He'll exalt me when He thinks the timing is right at the proper time. Inseparably, inseparable between humility is submission. They are linked together. They are a part of your life just as it is a part of my life. Daniel, 
talked about humility before God this way. Listen to Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Said, then he said to me, Daniel is writing this, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. What a great verse. Daniel 10:12. Humble yourself. God hears you, and He'll come in response to your words. And so in the midst of it, in verse 5 tells you and me to clothe ourselves. That, that means to cover yourself with an attitude of humility. The best example is our Lord, always. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, 6, and 7. Listen to what it says about Jesus Christ. It says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a bondservant, and he was made in the likeness of man. He not only humbled himself, but our Lord submitted himself. He says that in John 6:38, "I've not come down to do. I've not come down from heaven," he said, "to do my own will." He said, "I've come down from heaven to do the will of Him who sent me." He submitted himself. And so faithfully you and I are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt us at the proper time. You see, Jesus Christ was born and Jesus Christ died at the proper time. Timing was perfect for it. In Galatians 4.4 we are told, In the fullness of time God sent forth his Son born of a woman. And then in 1 Timothy 2.6 it says, that our Lord gave Himself as a ransom at the proper time. Timing. God will exalt you, believers. He will. You just humble yourself under His mighty hand. And He will exalt you at the proper time. Just got to wait for Him. You see, the Lord Himself made this promise. He says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's Luke 14:11. So remember, the foundational attitude in your life and my life is submission and humility. Submission and humility. Then will come the rest, and we'll study them in the remaining five weeks. I want to tell you how much I love you. There's going to be time for prayer up here. Uh, anybody that wants it, um, please come up. We'd love to be a church that prays for one another. Um, I'm going to close with this thought. I'm, I've only had five more weeks with you. Um, they're like precious. This is, uh, I've always, always thought, what it would be like if you knew when you were going to die? You know, How, what would you live like if you knew uh, in, in five weeks I'm going to die? <laughs> well, I might not die, or I might die between that and then, but it's a precious gift that God has given me. To be able to say, I love you, I love you, and goodbye for five more weeks. It's probably the most precious gift that I've ever received is in, in, in ministry. Um, I never thought about it like this until just this past week. I want you to know how much I thank God for you. I thank God for you.
I want you to know how much I want you to become the man, the woman, the person that God's called you to be. I want you to want that for me too. I want us to grow in our faith. Um, I've already been told I'll be coming back sometime in December. So it's not like I'm going to not be back and forth. I'll be here. Um, But in the meantime, please never doubt how much I love you. Please don't. Um, I mean, I guess if you can, if, if you want to, you can. But I'm telling you, you're not right. I love you with all my heart. Um, and I thank God for being here. I ask your forgiveness. I know some of you wanted to have a party for me. I don't want that. And I, I, I'm still standing on that. But I'm having little niche parties uh, here and there. We had one in Mr. McKnight's home yesterday, which I, I consider that my farewell. You might have just thought it was a brunch. But I uh, took that as a chance to say goodbye to some very dear people I love. Um, the tech guys, we're going to have something coming up. And so uh, take the time to say goodbye. This, this afternoon, in between the services, I had the most precious half hour that anybody could have asked for. I, I got to sit with Mickey and talk. And we just talked about everything. It was perfect. Couldn't have been better. That's the kind of goodbyes I'd like. So thank you so much for who you are in my life. I will never, ever forget you. I've got five more weeks with you. Thank you, Father, for this time. And uh, bless us, please. Let us, let us really understand submission, Father. It is critical. Without it, Father, there's chaos. There, there just is. We, we really need to understand submission, and, and, and we need to be submit to one another, depending upon the area of ministry that someone has. None of us are in charge. You are in charge of everything, dear God. And... We are all to be submissive at one time or another depending upon the situation. And, and Father, in the, in the midst of all of that, let us humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And we know that you're opposed to the proud, Father. But you will give grace to those of us who are humble. So humble us, Father, under your mighty hand. And then, Father, exalt us when you're good and ready. I thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Love you all. God bless you. Have a great day. I'll see you next week, I hope.